Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And I've got a problem with soccer to be fair. Football. What I can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything secret. I'm your special guest host and your favorite U.S. men's national team player, Jimmy Conrad, alongside two legendary Chivas USA players, Nigel Rio Coker and Mike LaHood. <laughs> and we have a lot to discuss in our recap of the first legs of the Europa League quarterfinals, but mainly, fellas, well, I wanted to, we had to talk about Manchester United. They were up 2 0. They didn't look like they were even breaking a sweat. And then it started to fall apart, boys. We saw that Bruno Fernandez got a yellow card. He misses the second leg in Spain. Rafael Varane goes out. It looked like he's going to be hurt for this one. Lissandra Martinez gets hurt. Looks like he's going to be out for the second leg as well. And they give up two late goals, two own goals. Harry Maguire with a tidy header to make it 2-2. And this is what blows me away about the game. And Nigel, I'll come to you first. That 30, 40, 45 minutes in, you think Manchester United could go on to win this competition. 45 minutes later, it looks like they might get knocked out by Sevilla, who are the most successful team in Europa League history. Nigel, your thoughts? Um, what can I say, Jimmy? Um, it's, it's for me, it's a big shock because I didn't expect that from Manchester United. Yes, they were missing Marcus Rashford, but with what Eric Ten Hag has built, I think the players today have crumbled down what he built to take it back to just before Ten Hag came into it. You, you couldn't have written a better story. Harry Maguire comes on and bees the one who scores <laughs> the own goal. But again, Manchester United are guilty of not being clinical enough. And Eric Ten Hag yeah. said... It's not just about Marcus Rashford scoring goals. Other players have to step up. Manchester United other players didn't step up. They're still playing like kids. They had the opportunities. This is a European competition. You have to take your chances. You have to punish your opponents. If you don't, this is what can happen. And this is a bad Seville side domestically that seemed to be turning it on in a European competition, like Michael said. And I'm sure Michael right now is burning inside <laughs> about his Manchester United team. And I, th I think for me, again, one of the things as well that for me that I don't like, um, Jimmy, is Bruno Fernandes' reaction about being like just being a captain and when things go mm. against him. Yeah, he seems yeah. like a little child. I, I let it go a few times. But for me, when you're at this level of competition, 
Bruno Fernandes needs to really stop acting very childish when things go against him and really be a captain that Manchester United need. And it is, for me, that is a bad result. And I fear for them oh. in the second leg, going to Sevilla without such influential players. You talk about Varane in the back. You talk about Martinez as well, for me, who's been an absolute superstar for Manchester United since he's come in. A real warrior in that back line. And um, the players that they're missing, and especially Rashford, for me, they've got a real big uphill challenge now. And I think Sevilla will really feel very confident. And if the domestic season isn't great, they can take a big scalp in knocking Manchester United out of this competition. Well, one of my favorite books in world literature is Things Fall Apart. It's not just a great book. <laughs> it's the next chapter of the Manchester United bestseller. I can't believe what the hell I just witnessed when it was 2 nil. We were all in the group chat buzzing about, ah, Sabitzer this, United, favorites. Then it We weren't all buzzing, you were buzzing. <laughs> it went to apps. I know, Nige, you were the one saying it. You were the ringleader, United fan at heart. It went to absolute what? crap. 2 nothing is the most dangerous lead in football yeah. for a reason. When it was 2 nil, 90th minute, you start thinking, okay, job done. Job is not done until you get to the final whistle. Right. Right. I'm peeved at this result. And I can't believe what we just saw. Oh, my God. LaHoot's using big. Hey, hey, can can we apologize to our audience? He said a bad word there, peeved. (laughs) Just tell us how you really feel, Michael LaHoot. You're pissed off. Oh, man. I usually go on a rant, Jimmy. I go go on a rant. This is my rant. You go on rants. Well, so so talk to me about this. I'm going to throw it back to you, LaHoot, before we go back to Nigel. Anthony Martial, when he assisted on that that second goal by Sabitzer, he has scored or assisted 10 goals in only 820 minutes of the football he's played this season. That's a goal contribution every 82 minutes. And I think if that continues, and obviously it's a little bit longer now because he played a little mm-hmm. bit more longer in the game, maybe that is a stopgap for Rashford until Rashford returns. Sabitzer scored two goals in a game for the first time since 2020, and he did it against Tottenham Hotspur. That's 1,129 days ago. He did it on March 10th. So, so him getting in, in advanced positions, I thought was a stroke of genius by yeah. Eric Ten Hag. But then it just seems like, to Nigel's point, it kind of reverted back into closing out the game, having that proper leadership. I agree with you, Nigel. I think that at times Bruno is way too emotional to be a captain. You have to be a lot more steady. You can't go too high. Yeah. can't go too low. And he's just all over the shop. And he's, he's living and breathing with every call. I'm like, dude, you got to just relax and be steady because your team's feeding 100%. off of that. But, but, but talk to me, LaHood, because – United won the League Cup back in February, the first time they've won a trophy in six years. They're in the semifinal of the FA Cup. They're, they were in a great position, at least in the first 45 minutes, to like, all right, we're going to make a real run at this Europa League. That's three trophies, and you're looking good to finish in the top four, which would be a successful season for Eric Ten Hag in year one. But it just feels like, to Nigel's point, something's a little bit off. Yeah, I think you're starting to see the the fatigue, whether it's physical fatigue, mental fatigue. This is a team that at one point was competing for four different trophies. And the Premier League, we can just all agree that that's out the window. Now they're playing for their top four lives. But every game that they've played since the League Cup final has been a high-pressure game. And it's high-stakes poker that they're playing right now. But you're seeing the mental fatigue, the disciplinary issues, players maybe being a bit rash with some of their challenges, suspensions, now injuries. I mean... Things are really starting to fall apart. At least it has that sort of pressure feel as a United fan. But Eric Ten Hag, the one thing that he has been a stroke of genius and brought a stroke of genius to with this team is getting them to react when things don't go their way. Liverpool, 7-0, they react the next game. Newcastle, they come back, react. This is a sort of deficit, though, that this doesn't feel like a draw. This feels like an absolute loss. And I'm curious how they react in the second leg. 
Now, Nigel, before you jump in, let's talk about the subs that happened in the 62nd minute. Christian Eriksen comes in for Bruno. Val Vekhorst comes in for Martial. Ilanga comes in for Sancho. Those, I think in hindsight, we can look back and say, maybe that wasn't the right time to make those subs, or maybe not all of them all at once, because you have to go kill off the game, and you had players that were still being dangerous up until that point, and I think that's where the game maybe started to shift. And obviously, these are two own goals, two freaky own goals, so I want to kind of keep it in context, but it still felt like a collapse that we've seen from previous Manchester United teams. Do you know what, Jimmy? I know people might not like me saying this, but if, <laughs> if from a football perspective, <laughs> listen, if you look at what Eric Ten Hag has done at Manchester United, you have to trust him and believe in the manager. I feel for me, when I look at that performance, that wasn't anything that the manager did. That was the players there not performing oh, to the fair. level that's expected. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, because again, they had opportunities to kill that game. There's only so much a manager can do. The players didn't take that responsibility on. Like you said, and I think the word that you use, Jimmy, is the best word to describe that performance of Manchester United. Emotional. Manchester United players let the emotions of that game get too much for them in some of the tackles, the mistakes, and the whole Bruno Fernandes situation. They were playing that game too emotional, while Sevilla weren't. And like another comments came in, I think you'd have to say, like Michael said before, and someone other, someone else said, Sevilla really are the Real Madrid of this competition because <laughs> to be two 0 down at Old Trafford and to come back, and again, of all people to score own goal, it had to be Harry Maguire. And who's one of the players that keeps on popping up the most where Manchester United want to get rid of or might be looking for a change? Harry Maguire is one of those players of all people. I mean, look at that. That that photo there could not be comical <laughs> enough. Oh, man. Of all people, and that's the Manchester United camp, uh, captain there. And look at the leap, by the way. He's got... Um, you can basically Casemiro spit there. on Casemiro's face. Casemiro <laughs> there. For those that they can't see it, gas. just have to yeah. take our word for it. But, um, I, I honestly, listen, don't get me wrong. I, I'll, I'll put the blame on the manager's feet when he deserves it. But with those quality of players and how he has turned Manchester United around in such a short space of time, for where I've seen consistency, I've seen style of play, I've seen a belief, I've seen a foundation being built. Those substitutions he made for me, I don't think you can blame the manager. I think it's the Manchester United players in this scenario who need to take more responsibility because Eric Ten Hag has higher standards. And for me, Man United players let themselves down and this game feels like a loss more so than a draw. Well, I think what's interesting is that with regard to the players, they're the ones that are going to have to show up in leg two. And they have some experience to lean on this particular season. They lost at home in the group stages to Real Sociedad and then went down to mm -hmm. Spain and got a 1-0 result. So they've shown Lahoud that they've got a little bit of backbone, especially to or with un, under Eric Ten Hag. But let's talk about Sevilla very quickly. Not in yeah. a great run of form. Currently 13th in La Liga. They finished in the top four the last three years. They're not going to finish in the top four this season. They're getting close to the relegation zone. They should be fine, but they're just closer to that than they are to the top four. And they were terrible away from home in the last eight games. One win, one draw, six losses. So this is kind of against type. Maybe they just felt like they had nothing to lose. Let's just go for it. Even at 2-0, they still found a way to, to just put the ball in dangerous areas and, and hope that something happens. But I do think that some bad luck actually struck Manchester United yeah. here. So, so I'm trying not to get emotional like Bruno Fernandes about this and try to stay a little bit steady. <laughs> but, but for you, as a United supporter, I can understand why you'd be emotional about it. 
Yeah, and now that I have my rant out of my system, no cuss words, <laughs> back to the I don't the want order. you to get peeved again, LaHood. Yeah, uh, you know, that was a sophisticated <laughs> word I used. I could I could have used a lot of the other words. I'm working on my dictionary words for House of Champions. It's the gift that keeps on giving, just like Harry Maguire with his memes, own goals, and defending this season for Manchester United. Now, as we said, it's very disappointing, but in Ten Hag and in this group's ability to react – now, this is where you are going to find out what type of Manchester United do we really have. When things are going well, when Marcus Rashford is scoring goals left and right, it's easy for everyone to turn up. I'm looking at the bench. I'm looking at a player like Christian Eriksen. You've given him two games or a few games to get his feet back underneath. I think that he will be a major catalyst. Can you get him fit? Can you give him a start in that return leg in Spain? I think you have to have him there to dictate a bit more. Maybe push Bruno. Michael, it's all to play for in the second leg, though. You have no chance but to start Christian Eriksen. Let me just let that out there. Oh, yeah. like, let's be real. Like, you look at everything right now. My biggest concern for you guys is Martinez missing. He might not be everyone's cup of tea. And Varane. You, Varane might and be Varane out as well. as well. Martinez and Varane missing is the biggest concern that Manchester United should have right now because you have a very soft centre-back pairing. You're going away to Seville. I think that Seville are going to be very, very confident that they can get this win, especially with their home crowd. I guarantee it's going to be a sellout crowd because it's Manchester United coming into town. That's their biggest thing. So Manchester Eric Ten Hag's going to have to come with a complete different game plan and it's going to be counter-attacking. That's going to be his only opportunity right now, play counter-attacking football. But again, you don't have the pace of Marcus Rashford. So how are you going to do it? Workhorse can work as hard as he wants. Martial can be a pivot. But again, now you might have to take the chance with starting Pilistri. For me, I think he's one of the players that you're going to have to start and go with him and Sancho and trying to break those lines. Yeah, Nige, but let's hit on Anthony Martial. Two games in a row, goal at the weekend, and then gets an assist. You have to ride that sort of high from Martial, who's an inconsistent player, and he's been blighted by injuries. Jimmy, you brought up his goal-scoring record. That's when he's available. He'll be going back to a very familiar place in Sevilla where he had a bit of a resurgence a bit, or else he would have been tossed out with the trash like the rest of them <laughs> in that summer clear-out that Ten Hag did. He's a player I'm looking at, and you got to give Sabitzer his dues as well, playing in an advanced role, winding back the clock like he did at RB Leipzig, like we see him for the Austrian national team. He's the same guy who had a brilliant assist to Marcus Rashford against Everton. He's coming into his own. Those two players, golf clap for them. The rest of the team, I am upset with you. That is my elementary school way of saying I'm pissed. All right. I think I think that uh, you're going to have Harry Maguire. You're going to have probably Victor Lindelof as the center back pairing. Fred might come back into the team. You could get a little defensive minded, Nigel. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you the last here voice here before we take our first break. But uh, what what do you think the projected starting lineup would be? Because because you throw Palestri out there, but you still have Jaden Sancho. You have Anthony. Um, you're going to have to go for experience, Jimmy. I think when it comes to a game like this of this magnitude, whether you like it or not, you have to start with your most experienced players. And then from then, you can rely on the, the, the exuberance of youth around that 70-minute mark to try and make an impact. But you have to go experience. You have to be disciplined. You're away from home. The atmosphere is going to be in intimidating. Sevilla definitely is going to be a sellout crowd because it's Manchester United coming into town. And as much as they don't have anything domestically to cheer about, this is something they can get behind the team to fit, put away their domestic worries. And it will be a huge scalp for them again. You know, beating Manchester United, one of the biggest clubs in world football. That plays a part. But for me, Jimmy, with these type of games, with what's at stake now, 
you have to go for experience and you have to be disciplined, defensively well-organized, and it has to be counter-attacking. I think the only young person I might start with, I don't know if um, Michael will agree with me, is probably Pilistri. You know, I've seen Pilistri play before and I think he's the only one you can use as a real big outlet. He's raw talent, raw pace, similar to Ganacho. I think he could be the one that can be your outlet for this game. But other than that, you have to be disciplined and experienced. Okay, so yeah, I, hold sorry, on really quick, LaHood, and then, then I'll give you the final one. I want to actually keep okay. going. I love talking about Manchester United. They have five away games in the Europa League, right? Group stages, knockout rounds, four wins and one draw. Away to Sheriff, 2-0 win. Away to Omonia, 3-2. Away to Real Sociedad, 1-0. Barcelona, 2-2. Real Betis in the last round, a 1-0 win. In that game, LaHood, right, you're, you're talking about experience. You have... You have Harry Maguire and Lissandro that started that one. Malasia and Juan Basaka started that. That's going to be very close mm-hmm. to their back four. Bruno's yeah. going to be out. You got Casemiro in. Fred started that game. Palestri to, to uh, Nigel's point started that game. Rashford played out wide and Valt Vaghorst started up top. You're going to see something similar. And that team went down and got a 1-0 result against Real Betis in Spain. So it's not outside the realm of possibility. But yeah, you got to be deflated if you're a United fan. So yeah, final thoughts. Yeah, I, I'm, and I'm glad we're touching on Fred. Surprise exclusion from the 11, and it paid off offensively. Sabitzer getting the two goals, looking more like himself in attack. But Fred, his best performances for United have come on the road in this competition. In the matchup against Barcelona, I thought he was one of the best players, looking more like Xavi than Fred, or maybe even Rivaldo with some of his final passes in the final third. I think that that could be a disruptive sort of combination. Sevilla, they're going to want to grind this out. The, the, the longer this goes nil-nil, this favors them, and it's a bit of deja vu again in Andalusia. United, they will look to get a goal because Sevilla, they give up goals at home. We're giving them so much credit. One of their big problems this season is they're not so much the fortress as they once were at home. They do have backline woes. They showed it tonight, and they will continue to show it the rest of the season. All right. Jimmy. You heard Jimmy. from Michael Hood. What? What? Ask Michael who's going to score goals for Man United, please. He's talking about, oh, Sevilla, give up goals. Who's going to score? They couldn't even score Old Trafford. You heard it. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. I said, Jimmy. 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 (laughs) Who's going to score goals for me? Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't. If Rashford's not healthy, it it could be a bit of a struggle as to who's going to step up. But to your point, Nigel, at some point, Martial, at some point, Sancho have to take on that responsibility. I'm going to put the team on my back and make a play. And we saw from Martial for a little bit, but they needed to kill the game off and they didn't. And they ended up giving up two goals. And it just, it, again, I'll say it, it harkens back to previous Manchester United iterations. All right. All right. We're going to take our first break. Jimmy, what? Man United are firing blanks. That's all they're firing. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, That's man. not the visual I wanted. Thank you for oh, that, man. Nigel. All right. We're taking our first break of House Champions. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the other results in the Europa League. Don't go anywhere. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. 
When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome back, everybody, to House of Champions. But uh, I want to remind you that if you're an American soccer fan that follows the Stars and Stripes, make sure to check out another great podcast in the CBS Sports Podcast family. It's called In Soccer We Trust, and I may or may not host that alongside Heath Pierce and Charlie Davies as we get into the weeds of all things U.S. soccer with a perspective only us former players can offer. At least that's what we like to tell ourselves. So download and subscribe to the In Soccer We Trust podcast anywhere you find this glorious one, the House of Champions, and we appreciate your support. Hit like and subscribe. Follow, leave five-star reviews. Me, Mike, Ian, Nigel, we would appreciate that. Jonathan, James, it's all popping off. All right, boys, so we talked Man United Sevilla. It's only leg one, still a lot of work to do. 90 more minutes left to play. Let's go to another one that was uh, not too surprising. Feyenoord 1, Roma 0, a game that's under two and a half goals with Jose Mourinho parking the bus, doing just enough in leg one so he can take it back to Italy and try to make it happen there, which he's done pretty regularly for Roma when he won the Conference League last season and when he's trying to do it now with the Europa League this time around. I will say these two were finalists. They met each other in the final 11 months ago in Tirana for the first ever Europa Conference League, and Roma came up ahead 1-0 and won that one on a Zaniola goal in the 32nd minute. But Roma misses a penalty. Pellegrini misses a pen. And uh, Paula Dybala is out with an injury. Tammy Abraham out with an injury. It kind of felt Manchester United-esque a little bit for Roma, where it seemed like things were going all the way they wanted. Nigel, I'll come to you. And it just completely fell apart. But not enough for them not to have a chance in leg two at... uh, in Rome, I should say. So, so your thoughts on this? or You know what? Actually, Nigel, let me go to the Mourinho quote, and then I want to hear your thoughts mm. on that. He says, yeah. we don't have the ability to do so many rotations. We probably lose Abraham and Dybala for these next two games. We are who we are, but we'll have the Olympico crowd fully behind us. I'm optimistic for the return leg, yes, but I'm also worried about Sunday if a team like ours loses players. There are fewer options, and that's a concern for us. We're not playing good against Feyenoord on Sunday. Uh, we're not playing against Feyenoord on Sunday, but against Udinese, and we have to think about this. So Mourinho doing the Mourinho stuff, right? Um, but how are your thoughts on this? Roma were looking good, and, and, and Feyenoord's an excellent team. They're going to go on to win the Eredivisie this season for the first time since 2017. Do you know what, Jimmy? Though? Honestly, it wasn't a great game. It was not a great game, in my opinion. I felt that the game was mostly played in the midfield area, mm-hmm. and both teams basically had periods of uh, dominating that midfield section. And when it got to the final third, it was lacking that bit of quality. Mourinho played Mourinho-like, the Roma style. <laughs> Defensively minded, park the bus, break us down, your job. They tried to go to Tammy Abraham. He had to hold up play. It was his job to hold up play and bring the team up. Worked well at times. They they were unfortunate not to go 1-0 up before the, fir- the, the halftime because of the penalty, which was, for me, a very, very harsh call on the penalty. There's nowhere else the defender could put his hand. That literally was a ball-to-hand moment where his hand wasn't extended. It wasn't in an unnatural position. Didn't even know about it. But I think that Mourinho would be disappointed that they didn't take the win. But again, the one thing you cannot take away, wherever you're watching from, wherever you, whoever you're a fan of, going to play in Rome is a very intimidating atmosphere. 
especially when it's not domestically. It's a European competition, and Mourinho knows what Mourinho is doing. He's playing the Mourinho mind games. Yes, they're missing Tammy Habrian. The ball is obviously a big miss for them, but somehow, some way, I think that the fans are going to be that 12th man that played a significant difference in this leg and get this win. I, I can see Feyenoord finding it very difficult away from home. I see the exact opposite. I see this Feyenoord team ready to romp and ready to just put the sword to a, a weakened Roma side in this second leg. Youth is what I saw. The youth movement, mobility in the middle of the park. Nemanja Matic at times as the game wore on and Roma missing that penalty kick. The youth, the legs of Feyenoord really shown. Zemanski, he didn't score a goal, but getting in behind, making runs beyond Santi Jimenez, that was disruptive. Matic couldn't keep up with him. Yes, that bit of quality, the bit of experience that Roma has on paper going into the second leg, that is a factor. But this is a Feyenoord side that is working miracles throughout this season. Do not sleep on Santi Jimenez. I'm very big on this guy. Lead striker could be the lead star striker, star, star striker for the Mexican national team coming from Liga MX, doing his business in Europe, in the Eredivisie, and also doing it in Europe. I think that he will be a factor in the second leg. Okay, so Feyenoord manager Arne Schlott has never won a trophy before as a manager. I know he's young, he's 44 years old, uh, and, and he's just getting started, and he's on his way to winning the Eredivisie. It looks pretty locked in for them, so he's going to win his first one. But you're going up against a master in Mourinho who's got 26 trophies to his name. Who knows? Who's been in these situations. And Mourinho and Roma have been in this situation already in the knockout rounds because they yeah. went to Salzburg like in mm -hmm. Austria, lost 1-0 to RB Salzburg, came back to Rome and won 2-0. They played uh, against Real Sociedad in the last round. They won the first leg 2-0 in Rome. To your point, Nigel, right? They're very good in front of their home fans. Yep. And then grinded out that, that away 0-0 to make sure that they got through. They didn't have everything go their way in this particular uh, game in these 90 minutes. They, they did what Mourinho does. They, they suffered, but they figured a way to keep it close so they can go back to win it in Rome. And I think that's exactly what the game plan was. The problem was they were trying to sneak a goal. They didn't get that opportunity or they missed it with the penalty. And then they have two significant injuries to two key players. So we talk about Manchester United not knowing who's going to score goals. I think Rome is in the same boat, Nigel. We have a guest, Jimmy. Yeah. You're going to be oh, talking to him playing for the U Summit. So. <laughs> is, is, is he eligible to play for the U.S. men's national team? Of course, he was born there. Sweet. Is he, he a striker? I wanted to is he a striker? He's a left-footed player. I haven't decided yet what he's going to play. <laughs> okay. but, um, no, Jimmy, him. you're right. I think that you're definitely right, Jimmy. It's going to be. But the thing is, for me, like I say to Mike, you can never rule out Jose Mourinho. He's got the experience. That first leg there, tactically, would tell Jose Mourinho what he needs to do for the second leg. Right. Exactly. And also, great, great in point. that sense, the Roma crowd plays a big part in it. I'm telling you, it's such an intimidating atmosphere to go and play in Rome against them in a European competition because they already know domestically it is what it is. But if they can win this European competition, glory to the club. Jose Mourinho's playing all the mind games that he always does. You know, we don't have a big squad. We can't rotate. But he's already learned a lot from that performance by Final. Final don't have a plan B. They've got their plan A, like you said. Youth, enthusiasm the runs in behind, all those type of things. Jose Mourinho's taken notes. I still would not write out Roma. Okay, no, so my son will not play for Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a bit of a dumpster fire. I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that either. Nah. So I think that Feyenoord have a chance if they can get yeah. that first goal. But if they can't and, and Roma can get that first early goal, I think it changes everything. All right, let's talk about this story that just popped up. Let's get out of the Europa League stuff for just a second, Michael LaHood, because Al Nasser 
decided to not only sign Cristiano Ronaldo recently, but uh, they're just going to sack Rudy Garcia, who actually was coaching Roma at one point in his career. And Zidane and Mourinho are both being linked to the mm. job. That's that's what I mean. I Cristiano Ronaldo, maybe player coach. We saw him coach Portugal when he got hurt in the final of the Euros, and and then he like. You know, had his team all fired up and they ended up winning the, the Euros that one time when he, you know, had to step out with the 15th, 16th, 17th, I don't know, 20th minute very early on in that game. But uh, what are your thoughts on this? This is uh, and they're uh, they're being linked to Messi as well to get Messi and Ronaldo on the same team. It just makes me wonder. And just for our viewers, no, that is not the next Al Nasser coach walking behind me and his staff that you see <laughs> going back and forth. Just want to confirm that Fabrizio Romano will confirm that as well in a few minutes. <laughs> but when I look at a move like this, it makes me just wonder who they've already are close to a deal with, which player, big name player, is saying, hey, I want to play for this guy. And if you get Rudy Garcia out, I'll come. Zinedine Zidane, if you're linked to him, he hasn't coached in a while, could be Zizou. And if Zizou goes, Messi, Ronaldo, oof, could be an all-star on Nasser team. I could see Nigel going over to Saudi <laughs> Arabia. I mean, if the money's good enough, huh, Nigel? What are we saying? Whoa, 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 Jimmy. I do not sell my soul for money, okay? My soul is priceless. I'm not in... You play I for Chivas USA. I don't oh, no, believe wait. anything that you say. You yeah, know, exactly. That should tell you that I do sell my soul playing for Chivas. That tells you enough. But I may be in this world, but I'm not from this world. I just think, listen, common sense will tell you when you see what's happening at Saudi Arabia right now, they're trying to build a league that's going to compete with leagues around the world they will get their top players because there's no other league in the world that has money like Saudi Arabia does. There isn't going to be too much government involvement in it. And they're trying to build something there. So like you said there, Michael, you're 100% right. I guarantee they've already had conversations with a manager for the likes of Zinedine Zidane and all those managers. The money that they can be offered there, the big names, the power that they have to draw other players. This is how they're going to start to build their league. It's not something we haven't seen before. We saw it in China. And the only thing that slowed the Chinese league down was the government involvement. Saudi Arabia don't have that problem. And I feel a lot of top players, especially young in their prime, and some of the best young players you get from Latin America will go to Saudi Arabia and they will be able to build something that will compete against some of these leagues in the world. So oh, that's a bold other shot. leagues, I'll pay very close attention to it. Yeah, that's a bold shot. They're obviously trying to make a play to host a World Cup in the future. And I think having a mm. strong domestic league would go a long way towards proving why they are capable of doing that. All right, back to the Europa League. So, Michael LaHood, Bayer Leverkusen, who Oof. were unbeaten in their last nine games in all competitions, had won seven straight coming into this one against Belgian side Union SG, who actually came into their own seven-game unbeaten streak coming into this, uh, winning five of those games. This was uh, an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object. They're both in good form at the moment, and it ended up 1-1. But I think what's really interesting is that we had a uh, Nigerian striker or winger or attacking stud, Victor Boniface, yep. scoring his fifth goal in six Europa League games, which ties him with Marcus Rashford. And then Florian Verts, who's back from his long injury and really starting to round back into form, uh, looked fantastic, scored a goal in the 82nd minute to make it 1-1. That's his second goal in three Europa League appearances. Um, splitting the points, going to Belgium. I like Bayer Leverkusen, especially yeah. as they started to click in under Xavi Alonso, especially after the World Cup break, where he had a little bit more time, I think, to put his fingerprints all over the team. But they've been excellent. They, when he took over the job, they were kind of by the relegation zone in the Bundesliga. Now they're five points away from the top four, and the Bundesliga sitting in sixth. So it's a good time to be a Leverkusen fan, but they couldn't get the job done against a very plucky, as I like to say, Union SG team. Yeah, this is a Leverkusen side who 
their lineup not playing with a true striker, Florian Verts, attacking midfielder by nature, being in that false nine role. He has been their talisman. He has been the metronome doing things in the final third for this Leverkusen th- team and getting the likes of a Musa Diaby, as I said in the preview for this matchup, going. The, the worrying thing for Leverkusen was... I thought throughout the game, they looked the more dangerous side in terms of their front three, free-flowing, getting chances when they got forward. But you cannot underestimate, and I think they may have underestimated, this Union Saint-Gilois side. Boniface, I'm so glad we're talking about him because he was electric the previous round. They get that 3-3 jaw in Germany against Union uh, Berlin. I almost said Union Saint Berlin, but Union Berlin. (laughs) Too many Unions in this Europa League. And you got to respect what Gilois do. They have a creative front three, but I think the quality of Leverkusen getting a draw when not everything is going your way at home, it could easily lead to frustration. Getting a draw, getting something from this first leg, tease it up for a really good opportunity to win the second leg. I favor them. I expect them to get the job done in the second leg. Very interesting. Very interesting. All right, we're going to take our second and last break of the House of Champions. When we come back, we'll talk a little Juve versus Sporting and some Europa Conference League results, so don't go anywhere. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to House of Champions. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Mike LaHood and Nigel Rio Coker. And we want to let everybody know that if you're a U.S.-based fan of the beautiful game, Paramount Plus is an absolute must-have subscription from NWSL to the Champions League to Serie A and so much more in between. I think you should do it. And yet, if you're not sure if it's for you or not, then you can try one month for free by using the code NWSL2023. All right, let's get into Jimmy, it. Our last quarterfinal. Jimmy, hey, Rachel, how are you? What's you up? You forgot left-footed Roman Ricardo Rio Coca, who to be the U.S.'s <laughs> greatest goal scorer. Right? Oh, I, he's I want his daddy because he's left-footed. I love that. We're going to will that into that. existence. What a cutie. Look at that guy. <laughs> How old is he? He's going to be two in two wow. weeks. Ah. Wow. But he's running around kicking the ball like crazy. Which Good. Is, I Good. never used to do that. Well, I know. He's probably already better than you are. So that's... Uh, 100%. That's- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk a little Juventus versus Sporting, our last quarterfinal of the Europa League. Uh, Paul Pogba was back in the squad, but on the bench. But it's nice to see him and hopefully smiling again. Uh, there was a scary moment there. Juventus confirmed that... Uh, uh, Wojciech Chesney, the goalkeeper for them, is okay after leaving the pitch in tears. He apparently had some chest pains. And and uh, right now, we've been hearing from our people behind the scenes at CBS and Paramount Plus that uh, Juve's claiming he's going to be fine. But uh, obviously, precautionary. you got to take him out and make sure everything's okay there. We'll keep everybody up to date on what's happening there. But they get a 1-0 win. It's off a set piece. Sporting, I thought, pretty plucky. I mean, Juve weren't good in the Champions League group stages. They lost. Uh, they, only, they won one. And lost the other five, including losing to a Portuguese team at home, Benfica three to two. And I thought maybe maybe another Portuguese team could could get in there, right, and and do the business. And I thought Sporting was going to have a little bit enough, a little bit more to get a result. But Chesney said said this, Nigel, and then I want to hear from you about this game overall. Uh, I was a little anxious, but we've done all the checks. Everything is fine. The truth is that I was tired. Uh, I saw Perrin in training, and he made these two saves. Uh, fear I could hardly breathe. Anxiety now much better. 
Uh, Matias is super nice. He never complains. It's a pity. Yeah, he's getting into the weeds there. But ultimately, he looks okay, and he sounds like he's okay and, and uh, more precautionary than anything else. So, Nigel, talk to me about this result because this Juve team this particular season under Maxi Allegri, you just don't know which version of them are going to show up, but it seems like they did the job today. They did the job today. They showed me signs of uh, progression, especially i got to give Maxi Allegri um, great um, – What's the word I'm looking for? I'm, I'm lost. My, my mind's gone right now. <laughs> Great credit because <laughs> from that 15-point deduction, Jimmy, and to where they are now in Serie right. A, that is absolutely phenomenal. And they've grinded out results. I think this is a big win because it was always going to be about the second leg between these two teams. From what I saw sporting, especially in their performance against Arsenal, a very good Arsenal side, they did well to get that result. I think at home... Again, it's going to be a different, different game. And for them, Juve getting that 1-0 result, I personally just don't think it's going to be enough. I think that second leg, we're going to see really what this sporting team's about. And for me, they're one of the best teams in Europe, in my opinion, with what they've got going. They've got one of the best academies in world football as well. For people who don't know, sporting have one of the best academies in the world. And uh, look, you look at the, the stats. I'm not a big stats guy, but 15 shots against nine shots and you know, possession. And then you, I didn't really get to see too much of the game. The right. few highlights that I saw, I feel that Sporting are still in this tie. And I think that at home, they could turn this around. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Lahoud, I want to get your thoughts on this too, because I think the stats are a bit telling here. I mean, 60% possession or close to it. They had 10 corners to, to Juve's three. Uh, more shots, more shots on target. They had six to Juve's three. It, it, it just kind of shows that at least there's got a young team under one of the best young managers in all of Europe and Ruben Amarim. And they're not afraid. And I think when they go home and have the fans at their back, even though they, they lost slightly, I agree with Nigel. I think that this sporting team has a little something special. And as I've said countless times over the years, you can never sleep on Portuguese teams in European competition. And I think leg two is going to be a bit of a beast here. But uh, yeah, give me your thoughts about this game. Yeah, I thought it was an absolute chess match, and I was flipping through the channels, and I made the mistake, like many United fans, last time I'll touch on this subject, <laughs> where I was like, ah, let me put this down. 2-0. Life is good. Let me go to Juve Sporting. Mistake I'll never make again. But what I did <laughs> see of this match, Juve will be breathing a sigh of relief. The difference in this tie is Angel Di Maria. He's been that touch of That's class so good. for the Rosaneri, Rosaneri, I wish, for the Bianca Dari, the old lady, in the final third. He's been doing it in the knockout round. Injuries woes to start the season. Since the World Cup, he's come back looking motivated. He's like fine wine. He just gets better and better the older he gets. And I think that that's been the difference, and that was the difference. The cross he put in, Federico Gatti, getting the headed goal, that is the stuff that you pay big bucks to players like Di Maria for. The front three of Sporting Lisbon, though, when they go to Lisbon, they've already made some upsets in European competition. Tottenham Hotspurs, they've, they've, they have that sort of pedigree, and they will not be phased going back home with only a 1-0 deficit. Yeah, it's going to be... Really interesting. I like sporting a lot. No disrespect to Juve, but they're just not the Juve of old. So very curious to see how that one plays out. I'm excited for next week already. All right, let's just tie all these Europa Conference League things together, boys. You can pick out which one you want to talk about. We'll make that our final thoughts, and we'll get everybody on their way so they can enjoy the rest of this beautiful day wherever they are around the world. Or whenever they're listening, it could be a beautiful day tomorrow as well. But we had Gents and West Ham draw 1-1. Anderlecht with a 2-0 win over Azed Alkmaar. Basel and Nice, some great goals in this one, especially Mafi, who had a bicycle kick. Go to CBS Sports Golasso 
on the Twitter and just scroll down until you find this one. It's definitely the goal, maybe of all of Europe this particular season. Great technique and a great, great celebration to match. And then the club that I actually played for, Lech Poznan, was in their first ever quarterfinal in European competition. And they gave up a goal like two minutes in and Fiorentina went on to smash them four to one. It was one, one. And then it uh, slowly got away from my former club, but uh, very excited for them and, and uh, for them to even get to this point, they're gonna have a lot of work to do in leg two in Italy. But uh, you know, sometimes it's just getting to this point, making history. That, that, that's the silver lining in this whole thing. Anything stand out for you guys? Nigel, I'll come to you first. I know that one of your former clubs, West Ham, is in the mix. Do you think that they're even caring about this? Because they're just trying to survive in the Premier League at this point. Yeah, there's a lot going on at West Ham right now. And I think that being in Europe is probably something that they wouldn't want to do right now, their current domestic form. I think that 1-1 result still gives Ghent a, a big chance and a big opportunity. And one thing I do know about West Ham and, and the fans and how it is, is if Ghent go to um, the London Stadium mm-hmm. and say, let's keep these fans quiet for the first 20 minutes or so, West Ham fans will quickly turn on the team and it becomes a very intimidating, hostile atmosphere, even though that they're the home team. So I think Ghent have a real good chance to win this and move on. And even if West Ham are knocked out of this competition and no longer in it, I don't think they'll mind that much because domestically is where it's at. They need to really survive in the Premier League. So it's an interesting tie. I think that's a start tie that stands out the most for me. Yeah, so Lahoud, uh, let's let's kind of keep this conversation going about West Ham because even though Arsenal got knocked out by Sporting in the last round of the Europa League, I think there was a bit of a sigh of relief from Arsenal fans thinking, all right, that kind of sucked and Ramsdale yeah. got chipped from midfield or whatever, but <laughs> but, it, but at least it's one less thing for us to worry about and we can focus on trying to win the league for the first time in forever. I feel like West Ham's in the same boat. They're just on the opposite end of the table. I don't think West Ham fans will care if they end up losing. Um not that they wouldn't care. Obviously, any type of success is important, but it just takes away from what Nigel's saying, which is the league. They have to stay up in the Premier League. Lahoud, you're on mute. We're going to start calling you Mike Lemute. You're on mute. I was saying expletive. Your mic expletive, said expletive, you expletive, so much expletive, expletive. about Man United. Let's I'm, mute you. I'm super <laughs> peeved. I'm peeved at you right now, Lahoud. Don't put on mute ever again. <laughs> expletive, 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 expletive is what came out of my mouth. No, uh, one of the few times on this green earth called planet earth that I'll ever agree with Nigel Rio Coker, Jimmy Conrad. <laughs> this is one of them. I agree with you, Nigel, because I do think the Premier League is of more value to West Ham this season. We saw the impact of what happened last season. The further they went on in the Europa League, it cost them top four chances. Now, if they keep going further, it could cost them their Premier League lives. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see Uh, What happens with all these teams, but it's a good opportunity. And what I like about the conference league is that you're giving some of these smaller clubs, including my former one, Lech Poznan, a real opportunity to to get continental glory. And I think that is very cool, Mm -hmm. even though we saw Roma and Feyenoord, two relatively big clubs in the final last year. So we'll see if if other clubs emerge in this one, because you have a chance to have a Nice, you have a Basel, an Anderlecht, an Azad Alkmaar having a chance to win something. And I think that's uh, very, very cool. All right, let's get to final thoughts. Before we let everybody go, Nigel, I'll come to you first. I don't know if you want to talk about your son playing for the U.S. in about 20 years. It's up to you wherever you Jimmy, want to go. Jimmy, I'm just going to say this, Jimmy. He has a British passport, and his passport should be coming by next week. So <laughs> he's got dual passports, left foot. I don't know, but I'm sure he probably want to play for the U.S. national team. Um, but, yeah. Um, 
what is he, Fuller and Balogun? We, we already have a whole bunch of dual nationals. We already got Eunice Musa. We got to get Balogun next, and now it's going to be a yeah, real Yeah, but he Coker. was born here. There's a difference. He was actually born here. You know, I know how your U.S. <laughs> national team goes left, right, and center, but he was actually born here in Florida with the crazy people, so he was all right. But um, no, I think, honestly, I think for me now, that Manchester United 2-2 draws just made that tie, the second leg, super exciting. Really exciting with the players missing and stuff like that, and I think it will be a big disappointment for Manchester United season if they go out of this competition to Sevilla. So uh, I think that's the tie, if I'm honest, that I'm paying the most attention to. I still feel Sporting could turn it around yeah. against Juventus. Yeah. That's another interesting <laughs> one. But uh, And I believe Roma probably could turn it around against final. I'm going to yeah, go I against agree. the brain. I'm going to go against Michael. So I think the second legs mm. are going to be very interesting, more so because of the advantage of where most of these teams are playing the second leg at. No, I like that yeah. shout. And, and Lahoud, how about you? Final thoughts? Yeah, I just want to just bring the microscope to the great nation of Italy. What they're doing this season, Italian teams, not just a renaissance in Syria. Yeah, Napoli is most likely going to run away with the league. But the competitive nature of Italian teams in Europe, it's what European soccer needs. It's what I think the world game needs. And I'm very high on Italian teams throughout this competition, whether it's Champions League or Europa League, or even the Conference League. Fiorentina, my favorite, to win it all in the Conference League. I think Juventus, I, I obviously Manchester United, biases aside, but I think Juventus are a worthy shout should they get through the knockout round tie with Sporting Lisbon. And we've talked a lot about Napoli, but what Milan are doing and Inter as well. So good week for Italian soccer in Europe. Yeah, good times. Hi, Jimmy. Yo, no, Nigel always wants the final word. Go ahead, Nigel. I know. Sorry, Jimmy. All right, leave me alone. All right, I've got kids here. <laughs> Jimmy, ask Michael if... This it, all these Italian teams doing well in Europe. If they will trade that for the national team to start actually doing well, wow, again. I love that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ah. Circling back, taking shots at the Italian national team for failing to qualify for the last two World Cups, even though they beat England in the Euros in between. Uh, that all happened. Mm. And Nigel, we don't have to go there, we don't have to go into that. I'm sure we've had that com commentary on House of Champions before. My final thought thank you for listening and supporting your favorite podcast. I know that it is. So on behalf of producer Des, Mike, Nigel, and myself, Jimmy Conrad, thank you for listening, and we'll be back again next for another busy week of UEFA action. Join the boys on Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern for the Champions League preview. It should be a lot of fun. Leg two quarterfinals coming up fresh next week. We'll see you then. Later.